Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Bruce Weiner and Rachel Marshall coming to you today to talk about a very interesting conversation. And so we're going to be reviewing the Nelson Nash Think Tank from 2022. And I get the wonderful and very unique perspective of being able to talk with Bruce, who has attended this past Think Tank. And Bruce, I think um, every Think Tank in the past as well for, for many years, at least, right? Yeah, I, I actually, they actually brought that up. Uh, I think uh, it was the 15th one. And I don't, I don't think I've missed any, uh, but I think I'm at uh, 12 or 13. I, I didn't research that, but uh, I didn't attend the first, the first couple. But uh, it's at least 12 or 13 out of the 15, I believe. That's awesome. Well, you're definitely a veteran um, from the Nelson Nash Institute and being an IBC practitioner and going to the Nelson Nash Think Tank. And so I have not attended this event. I have had the wonderful pleasure of meeting Nelson Nash and some of the team at the Nelson Nash Institute. And I'm amazed and overwhelmed by just how much volume of knowledge and wisdom there truly is at the foundation and the core of infinite banking. And so we're going to talk with Bruce about what this think tank involved. Now, from my perspective, I'm just going to share a little bit as we jump into this conversation today. But Nelson Nash began, he was a father of infinite banking. He did not create a new thing, but he discovered an amazing way of being able to use specially designed whole life insurance. And he then created the term infinite banking and the infinite banking concept. And he really began to educate not only customers and clients and people who had infinite banking or life insurance policies, but then he realized the tremendous need for advisors and practitioners and people who were selling life insurance to be under, to understand and have this knowledge so that they could properly work with clients and deliver the right type of policy to be able to serve them the best in this way. And so he has created so many platforms and, um, and, and products to be able to teach practitioners and teach you and I, the, the regular public as well, how to use infinite banking. And so he definitely taught people to, to um, serve with excellence. So every year there's this IBC or the Nelson Nash think tank. And um, this is something that practitioners like Bruce and people who are in the infinite banking space or selling life insurance, insurance producers, myself can, can attend, and also clients or people who are interested in finding more out about infinite banking. And so if you have had the pleasure of attending, maybe this is something that is interesting to you because you have already attended before and you're interested to know what the last think tank was like, or perhaps you're interested in going in the future and really diving even deeper into understanding more about this strategy and product combination that is serving you currently. So Bruce, thank you for going and suggesting this is a great topic for us to dig into today. And so I would just love to dig into what you were finding at this think tank. What are some of the main issues that we're seeing in the industry, some of the trends, some of the challenges that the industry and the um, team of infinite banking 
the, the core experts are really saying these are challenges that we're w- working to overcome in today's era in, with all of the, the landscape that we're facing today. So, so Bruce, just from, from a high-level perspective, what what is the think tank? Well, the think tank is uh, is open to it, – it wasn't always like this because in the early years, there wasn't a certified – practitioners program but now it is is open to certified practitioners and their guests and then people that are maybe not certified yet but but are in the practitioners program and that practitioners program depending on how how fast you work it uh, with the study material and such it it could take you as you know as long as a year to complete the program and that program is um, basically deals with a lot of economics of the Austrian economics. It, it deals with the concepts of banking. It deals with the concepts of what Nelson said, uh, had as becoming your own banker, and then the solutions along the way. And um, it is a way to, to get the uh, industry together to actually share best practices, but also to look at the challenges in the industry and and also, and but more, most impo- most importantly, probably because I I I talked to many of the practitioners uh, during this because I know a lot of them because it's the same people that go year after year. It's about the fundamentals of actually educating the public on this, and uh, I think that might be one of the most valuable things because everything you do in life, whether it's um, learning a new skill or your own family, there should be some things that should be consistent and repeatable. And you go, you go back to kind of uh, like we talk about with money principles. And so to go back to those principles every year and not uh, go off that path, not, not in a bad direction, but in a direction example is giving people the solution before you establish the problem. Mm. And and this is what happens with uh, practitioners all the time. And this is what happens in my educational background is, you know, something so well, you presume the person you're teaching to also knows it that well. And really what you should do is you should know your material like you have a master's degree or a doctor degree and then try to teach it on a second grade level to make sure you do not lose anything in translation. So mm-hmm. that is that is probably the the most valuable thing that happens in these particular think tanks is that we go back to basics and say, hey, this is the way that we should we should first formulate the explanation of the problem, and then a step by step solution to that particular problem. You know, Bruce, I know we were just talking yesterday about the value of going back to basics. And I think sometimes we can overlook that, but fundamentals are needed in everything. I mean, if we look at, uh, we were just talking about um, the sports arena, if you're being coached in any capacity and Bruce, I want you to share your perspective on this, but I mean, I barrel raced and it was very similar that I was working on perfecting techniques and you didn't say, well, I know how to turn a horse. Obviously you know how to turn if you can go around a barrel, if you can turn a corner going down the end of the driveway or, or onto a new street or around a, a stream in front of you. But if you are working on being the best, 
you have to execute the basics, which means practicing the same turn in a more and more refined way, 6,000, probably even 10,000, 20,000 times so that you really, really, really can become the best. And so it's the same when it, when it comes to our money, where we need to continually refresh and remind ourselves, what are the basics? What are the things that make up a solid financial system in our life? And how can we remind ourselves to go back to that and not get sidetracked by thinking we already know the fundamentals. Let's just move on to more important, more interesting things and get more complicated. Or sometimes that can cause us to veer off course and not stay true to our principles. Bruce, can you um, just share from your coaching experience as well, what fundamentals really are, why they're so valuable? Yeah. What's interesting is, um, you know, John Wooden was a famous basketball, NCAA basketball coach. And he actually wrote a book called Coach Wooden's Pyramid of Success. And for all of, for all you streaming people out there, Ted Lasso um, is a fan of the pyramid of success, and and John Wooden actually would start every every year with his basketball. Oh, by the way, he won eleven NCAA championships, I believe, in thirteen years, mm. which uh, which is just it's just phenomenal. And he would start every year with just how to actually put your socks on how to put your tennis shoes on and how to tie your tennis shoes properly. Huh. And his, his, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. His point was that it's as a basketball player, your feet are the most important thing because those are the things that your body is in contact with the court. And if you don't have the proper socks, you don't, you don't put the proper socks on properly so that they don't bunch that you don't tie your shoes properly. The, the likelihood that you're going to get a blister is great. And then you will not be able to practice. So he broke it down that to that uh, skill level. So when I was actually wow. teaching, uh, you know, we we started every year with talking about well, what are the basics we were going to actually uh, teach in the classroom, and we would do the same thing on the athletic field. That simply, we say, okay, in this particular drill, you're going to move your right foot six inches to the left at a forty-five degree angle to start out with, and we would just literally practice that for several minutes. And then we would repeat it on the left-hand side. And we would do that over and over and over again. And it does get tedious to the point where you have to consciously think about, um, I am doing this for a reason to build a fun, the fundamentals down so I don't have to think about it. So mm -hmm. it's, a very, it's a very similar thing with your finances. Like I check, my, I check all of my accounts every morning. That's just a consistent thing that I do for several reasons. One is I want to make sure, not that I'm looking at the rate of returns and so on and so forth, but what I'm doing is, is I'm building up an awareness of what's going on in my financial life. You know, some of that could be to prevent fraud. Some of that is, to, is uh, do I want to move some monies from one position to another because of what's called a sector rotation. You know, what is, what is important going, going on now? Like uh, some people would say oil and gas because of what's going on in Ukraine, depending on when you listen to this podcast, you may, you may move some monies into that direction. Um, when the real estate crisis was going on, you may have diversed yourself from real estate. So having an awareness of where you're your your monies are is a very important principle 
that people need to develop habits. And unfortunately, what, what happens in anything in our lives is we start with good intentions, but then if we you do not carry it out, it erodes again. And this is why personal coaches are so important, which I've, I've used my entire, well, I should say my entire career, but for about the last 15 years, I've had a personal coach that I confide on and they confide back to me. And I go to Steve Sims, who we've had on the, on the podcast before. I've gone to two of his masterminds to continue to try to develop habits that are consistent um, because everybody falls out of habits and you need, you need to regenerate that consistency uh, on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly basis. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's really interesting is that habits are something that we need in every area of our life. And I can say my nature as a human does not like habit. I, I tend to fall off the habit regularly, whether it's a routine that we set in our morning routine as a family, or whether it's a commitment to read a certain book or to do something at a certain time of the day, I tend to need to refresh on that daily so that I can stay committed to that habit and build it in my life. And so it is very, very, very important, especially if you are like me, who habit does not come naturally for, and who would rather go uh, in the moment and make decisions on the fly. It's very important to have those habits so that you know what you're building in your life. And very similarly, um, Lucas and I are always looking at our bank accounts. I cannot say that I'm looking at it daily. Uh, We have a meeting once a week and often sometimes it's maybe two weeks in between, but we're always looking at what is our spending as well? Because that awareness makes us realize you can't just say, well, we set up our spending plan five years ago and now we just spend freely and we think we're on track. You have to know if you're meeting your goals, meeting your objections or not, if you're still consistently saving what you thought you were saving and what you committed to saving at the beginning. And human nature gets in the way all the time. There's a million reasons why you would not stick with your plans that you set to begin with. And you have to be watching and having that awareness so that you can course correct and stay um, stay committed to those fundamentals. So Bruce, I love, I love that focus. Let's jump back to the think tank. There's so many things that we could talk about here. Can you just give kind of maybe your overall impression of the think tank yeah. this year, specifically in light of the fact that Nelson Nash is no longer here. He passed away in 2019, I believe. So this is probably the third or fourth think tank that he's not been at. Is that right? Yeah, this was, see, so 2019, he was at the 2019 and passed away about a month later. Okay. So, so the 21, um, he was there. And then of course, 21 was, was COVID because 20 was in February and then COVID really officially yeah. started in March of 20 and then 21, he passed, um, yeah, 21, he passed, but we had a virtual one. So really, it's uh, it's, so it's just a, a few second years. one, yeah. Okay, yeah. and everybody's kind of get used, getting used to it. Luckily, you know his his uh, son-in-law David. Well, let me give you overall impressions. First of yeah. all, I was blown away by the amount of several hundred people there, probably close to three hundred people mm. at the think tank. And of those three hundred, uh, they had them raise their hands, and about fifty of them were new practitioners. Mm. So. Um, that that means that there is a, and that's actually part of what we talked about, and we'll, we'll go, but we'll come back to that in just a little bit. Um, but everybody, it's amazing how many people, because I've gone to conferences 
and I always try to sit in the front. And uh, we were actually doing our podcasts that morning because here's one habit that Rachel and I always have. We try to make sure we record a podcast every Wednesday, and we've been pretty loyal to that for uh, ever since we started. And um, About four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I was actually doing a podcast that morning w- during registration, and then I quickly got over there, and I missed the, maybe the first 30 minutes of uh, the first talk. So I was able to get a front seat. However, it was off to the side, so I could still see the entire room, which was kind of nice. Mm. And um, it's amazing as David Stearns and Carlos Lara and Robert Murphy, who are now basically the board of the NNI Institute, uh, all spoke as an introduction, how many people were very focused on them and paying attention. You know, you go to these conferences all the time and people start talking and people are on their phones or their laptops or they're writing, but they were, they were really paying attention to them. I think it's because they were looking for their leadership. Um, and they were getting what they wanted out of them. And then the, the, this year's format was a little different uh, than past formats. We actually had many of actual practitioners that would come up and share best practices with the group. And what's the biggest impression that you'll find at a Nelson Nest uh, think tank is that the practitioners are very abundant-minded. We talk about this a lot on the program so that everybody's constantly sharing what works for them without any thought of, of, is it going to hurt their business or so on and so forth? They just, they just share, share, share. Our friend, uh, James Nethery, who's been on the uh, podcast actually shared a lot of things about social media that he, uh, James is never afraid to, to speak his mind that social media that actually discussed him about the kind of uh, kind of banter that goes back and forth on social media t- trying to discredit Nelson's mm. work and and some of them were and we've seen it on our social media at, at, at times and we don't really understand why people do this we we, we uh, like questions we love people that are asking the questions because they're trying to find the truth of it. Mm-hmm. We we don't particularly care for people who are just trying to discredit things um, for just the sake of discrediting them and don't really want to um, talk about what is true and what's not true in a civil discussion back and forth. And some of the things that James mm-hmm. had, to, has, had to put up with um, and other people said they're putting up with the same stuff was just a. Uh, we, we talked about ways to, to prevent that, you know, in, into the future. And unfortunately, one of them was to simply turn the comments off, which um, and then direct people to certain email addresses, because most people won't go through that work if they have to go through another step. They'll just sit behind an anonymous keyboard and quickly make a, a comment. So that you know, was that was so what's interesting about that idea, Bruce, is just that I think as the popularity of infinite banking has grown. I think, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a buzzword, but there's a lot more people becoming aware of infinite banking. There's a lot more people looking for infinite banking. And so there's a lot more information that's out there now about infinite banking as well. And a lot more people who, for whatever reason, decide to hold to their ideology or their viewpoint without having the facts to back it up. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, social media 
when I say social media, I am including any channel that you're publishing content on. So that would include YouTube and it would include um, Facebook and LinkedIn, but all of these platforms then allow this sort of way of people being able to speak their mind without necessarily having the consequence of the social dynamic. And it does definitely bring out this challenged type of dialogue because there can be argumentation or there can be seeking for information. And I think that's just a a good check for any of us when there's information that we maybe disagree with, that we can always ask questions about information or we can seek out true information or we can debate information. But if you're just trying to argue and throw accusations that are emotionally charged rather than factual, that's where you can you cannot come to a reasonable conclusion. You cannot satisfy that type of an argument. And it's also not helpful for anyone who's really looking for the facts and information. So to you listeners who are having to sift through that, I apologize to you that there is sometimes a lot of um, volatile emotion in any topic, any front, any political topic right now. It just seems like there's so much um, heat emotional heat in argument that sometimes can can ignore the facts and data. So I apologize that you have to sift through that, but keep pursuing wisdom and keep pursuing the true information that backs up what you're looking for rather than um, just getting caught up in an emotional argument. Yeah. One of the things uh, um, I think we, we talked through this is that, you know, all of us are producers. So we're, we're insurance producers. Several of us are also investment advisors. And what's interesting is, is that we are not saying that there's not, a, there's not room for term life insurance in a person's life. Matter of fact, I, we all believe that there's, a, there's room for that for human life value. We're not saying that there's not room for universal life, whether it's, it's traditional universal life, which is interest bearing, whether it's index universal life or variable universal life. We're not saying that there's not room for that. However, um, when it comes to the infinite banking concept, the, the, only, the only vehicle that works for this particular concept that's an, that is tested and true because of the guarantees is whole life insurance. Now, Rachel, you might, you might recall about a month ago, somebody was really adamant on, on our YouTube channel that says, Oh, we are absolutely wrong about this. They have guaranteed universal life. And so they, mm-hmm. what we said about it as far as uh, you can't use it for the banking, infinite banking concept is wrong. Well, unfortunately, what I find with these people that are so passionate about that is they're trying to subconsciously, or they have some subconscious things that they're trying to consciously get out is that, oh, maybe they, were actually presented something that was not what they thought it was because guaranteed universal life only guarantees that the death benefit will be around. It does not guarantee that the cash value is going to be around. And the cash value is what you actually need for the infinite bank or uh, the infinite banking concept to mm-hmm. actually bank out of it. Mm-hmm. And so the, we I was just having this conversation uh, yesterday with uh, a potential client. Um, and he said, you know, one of the reasons he likes to listen to us is because we try to give both sides of the issue 
And he knew that in his mind that it was impossible to pay interest to yourself in these, in these contracts. And that, that is one of the misnomers. And it was actually one of the things we talked about in the think tank is people who that are not certified practitioners that are trying to do this infinite banking concept are using this premise of paying interest to yourself because they only know a little bit. They may have read Nelson's book. They didn't read it carefully. They didn't read the, 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 the an entire con, uh, um, paragraph of how Nelson said paying interest to yourself because what Nelson is saying is if the insurance co- company was charging you X amount of interest, then why don't you pay yourself 2X back and you're paying interest to yourself, but you're really not paying interest to yourself. You're, you're buying more paid up additions to life insurance. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a way N- Nelson would say, if paid up additions, life insurance is really good, then why wouldn't you just pay yourself additional money back into the paid up life insurance? And he called it interest, but he's saying paying interest to yourself, not to the insurance company, which is, which is semantics here. But unless you have a, a, an insurance person that can walk you through this, the explanation, then you're, you're going to miss something in translation. And this is what happens all the time throughout the industry. Yes. And I think that particular idea, and we were talking about this yesterday as well. I think if somebody doesn't understand the infinite banking concept very well, it can be easy to overgeneralize or oversimplify for the purpose of trying to make it sound good or sound easy to say. The problem is when people say you take a loan from your cap, they say you take a loan from your cash value and then you pay yourself back interest. Well, I actually made two mistakes in that statement. You don't take a loan from your cash value, you borrow against your cash value, which means your cash value serves as collateral for a loan. The loan comes from the life insurance company. Then when you pay that loan back with interest, you pay back interest to the life insurance company, not to yourself. If you want to pay back extra, you can pay back through the paid up additions rider. So if you haven't already maximized and fully paid all the paid up additions that were illustrated in your policy. So there are pieces of infinite banking that I guess there's two sides really, Bruce, how I see it. You can overcomplicate it and it's so complicated and sounds so confusing that no one could possibly ever get started, which is not the right way. You can also oversimplify and overgeneralize and make it seem watered down and just fit neatly into a box that seems to make easy sense to someone who doesn't understand it and mislead someone. And there's a a really delicate balance between sharing all the information so that people have the truth, but then not making it just volumes of encyclopedic type of sounding information where it's difficult to sift through and make decisions. And so that's really what we strive to do is to understand fully, communicate fully, but create it, but communicate in a way that gives you a, uh, an actionable path so that you know what to do with the information. So let's, let, me, let me just go through a few things that we decided were very important to, to um, work on fundamentally um, at this uh, think tank. And yeah, Nelson's, Nelson, Nelson's book is full of uh, a lot of things, but basically you have to understand is that banking is a process. 
Okay. Nelson in his 10 hour seminars, when he used to give them, used to explain it like this. He would say, what do you do when you're in an airplane? Because Nelson was a, uh, a pilot for the National Guard. What do you do when you turn an airplane? And he would, he would pause and then he would say, we call that you're banking an airplane. You're, you're making a bank. Mm. Then he said, what is on each side of a river? A, a bank. river bank. He said, so bank is just a word. Okay. We also use bank as a place that actually has monetary, monetary uh, storage and, and actually processes of giving loans and taking in, um, taking in monies. So Nelson's point of all this was banking is the word bank is just a word for several different things, but banking is also a process. And the process is the oldest, well, I should say necessarily oldest, but it's the most important thing that happens in an economy. The most important thing. Think about it. In order for, we're actually in the Ukraine war. And one of the things that the United States and its allies are trying to do right now is cut the Russian people off from the banking process of the world. Mm -hmm. And nothing happens on a daily basis without banks. I was watching Grant Cardone being interviewed. And if people don't know who Grant Cardone is, you probably ought to look him up. He's one of the biggest real estate moguls in the United States. And he's, uh, he's pretty brash and he has great ideas. But this, this actually hit me uh, very strongly about how the infinite banking concept is, is um, fundamentally works because it's a banking process. Grant Cardone said, think about the American dream as to what? Own a home. Yeah. Okay, that's, mm -hmm. that's the American dream. But in fact, owning a home is not what's best for a person necessarily. It's what's best for the bank. And so bankers, just think about this. If, if banks are making their money by lending out the money, and by the way, it's not their money, where do mm -hmm. they get the money? They get All the, the money. depositors. From the depositors. So they're not even lending and out their money. And fractional reserve banking, if we want to go that far to talk about well, that. He, he actually brings that, he, he brought that point up. He said, so they actually buy, see what banks do is buy and sell money. Now that, that process has changed with the manipulation of the Federal Reserve, but they basically say, hey, who would like to deposit your money in our bank and we'll give you a return or we'll give you a service for that return. And that service cost the bank money. So having the branches open or having people in the branch that are competent, so you have to pay them, or we'll give you in this, in this environment, we'll give you a quarter of a percent if you put your money into our bank. So that's buying the money. Then they sell the money to purchase other things, cars, boats. But what's the biggest thing? Homes. So he believes that bankers several years ago, I mean, we're talking probably 100 years ago, were sitting around thinking, we need to make more loans. So let's do a campaign that the American dream is to own a home. Now, that's pretty mm -hmm. cynical. That's a pretty cynical thing of thinking about. But I actually have gone to seminars, financial seminars, where they have calculators about owning a home 
it's the rate of return is less than one percent. Now I know some people are probably listening to podcasts and say they that's ridiculous. My mom and dad bought their home in 1965 for twenty thousand, and they sold it forty years later for three hundred thousand. That is a that is not less than a one percent rate of return. However, what that person doesn't figure into the process is there's leaks in that rate of return. The taxes you must pay on the home, the mm-hmm. interest that you must pay on the home, the repairs that you must pay on the home. They didn't Re- put nothing in over the course of those 40 right. years. They definitely put cost in. Yes. Right. And when you put the other costs, remodeling, you can't mm-hmm. sell your home for a greater value if you just leave your home looking the same as it did the day you bought it. When you figure all those costs in, the return is less than 1% which is mind-blowing. I've seen this at several financial um, conferences uh, explained very, very well. The reason that people still hang on to this is because the United States and what separates free nations is property rights, your right to own property. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't own a home. I'm just saying you should understand these principles Mm -hmm. of owning a home. So free property, and that's why people want to do that. The other thing is people say, now, wait a minute, it, it's, no, it's a known fact that most people's wealth is when they own a home. Well, it's just because it's a forced savings vehicle. They're, yes. they're, they're paying their house down, they're paying equity, or they're building equity in the home, so they're, it's actually a forced savings vehicle. If you could then rent and take the other cost that you wouldn't have, like the taxes, the insurance the repairs, the remodeling, and put it into another vehicle, you actuarially, you could actually have a lot more money and wealth. The problem is, is this is where we get into the human nature. And I said, I said all of that to now say this. The other thing is that what made Nelson so understanding about human nature, he understood this and he put it in his book. And a couple of fundamentals, he said, think long term. He said, people with poor money habits think short term. So one of the things that we've talked about on the show, we've had guests on, which is a buzz, a buzz amongst the IBC community and, and frankly, non-IBC people, is this whole thing about policy design being 10% base, 90% PUA. So within 30 days, you can actually harvest as much money as possible and go put it into another investment. Now, this can be designed like this. It can work if a person is perfectly disciplined, and it can work if there's never something that comes wrong in the economy. But it's not going to work, and, and Nelson knew this, and he knew that people's characters, characteristics in their personality get in the way. And so these type of people that are not disciplined to capitalize and think long-term, they are going to actually harvest the money out, have the intentions of putting the money back in and never putting the money back in. And that's another fundamental Nelson talks about. Don't steal the peas. And he has this grocery store example. And if anybody's ever been in business like myself, in an inventory business, you understand how this works. And I've shared this on the podcast before. Uh, the first time I saw this was a restaurant tour 
that was really su- successful in, in Columbia, Missouri, with the University of Missouri, had several restaurants on campus. And whenever we would go, he was a friend of the family. Whenever we go to one of his restaurants, he would actually get his credit card out and, and give it to the, the server. And one day after seeing this 25, 30 years ago, I don't remember, I asked him, I said, hey, Dick, I don't understand. This is your restaurant. Why are you paying for stuff at your restaurant? And he said, well, two reasons. One is if I actually take this free, I have to make even more money to pay for me. But number two, and he said, more importantly, I want to see my employees that I can't watch every time I'm here know that the owner's actually paying for things so that they don't think they can just take things on their own too. And so just to give you a quick example, Nelson uses, if you, if you have a, a 57 cent can of peas, grocery stores work on a very small mor- margin. So if you have a 50 cent uh, uh, can of peas and you actually steal it off the uh, shell, shelf, the back shelf as the, as the mm-hmm. owner, walk out the back instead of checking out the front, um, you have to sell, you, you're selling that can of peas for 60 cents. So you're only making three cents a can. Just you have to then take 57 divided by three. So that is what one that's 19 cents. You got to turn that over 20 times. You got to sell now 20 cans of peas just to replace that one stolen can of peas. And this is what happens in these 1090 policies. If you take out all this money right away and you don't put it back in, you're not overcoming the actual financing need within the policy. So don't be afraid to capitalize, think long-term, and don't steal the piece. Those are fundamentals that everybody should think about. Mm, Bruce, this is so good. And I'm loving that you're sharing these in so much detail because these are things that are in Nelson's book. And they're also things that we talk about on a regular basis. But I think just hearing them again in such detail is so valuable. And you're absolutely right. Human nature gets in the way. And what's so interesting is that we can see something that is sounding good, sounding like great information that we need to always realize. I was just listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin's podcast and his talking about, we need to recognize when we're being duped or when we're being swindled or um, conned, in fact, into a particular way of acting and being and doing. And sometimes it can seem very good on the for, on the surface. I mean, of course, the American dream, that sounds great. Let's own a home. That sounds wonderful. Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to do that? And so we can be then swayed in this direction of saying, well, let me buy the house. Let me pay it off as quickly as possible. Let me truly own my home. And yes, what are we doing? We're putting all of our dollars into the four walls of the house. And even more than that, then what about all of the marketing that we see all around us, all the you know, the commercials, the Pinterest, the um, the stores that we go in. Of course, we need to fully decorate it uh, all the way up to the the highest, you know, level. We need to make sure that this house is as presentable as possible. It needs to be as beautiful as economic, not economical. There's a word I'm looking for, but functional. It needs to really, really make us feel wonderful to be in this home. And we can feel really good about doing things that are financially terrible for us. And we just need to realize where is this information coming from? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't live in a nice home. What I am saying is let's make sure that we're not being sold a uh, ideal that 
is not in our best interest without recognizing that there might be other interests wanting us to make that decision. So Bruce, I love even just how you shared about the can of peas and specifically how many cans that you would have to then sell in order to make up for that one that is stolen and, and how much better of an idea to think about profitability and even profitability, profitability in your life insurance policy by fully capitalizing and using the policy loan and paying back with interest the same way that you would buy a can of peas and pay retail cost, not just wholesale cost, paying out through the cash register. You want to think about your money in the same way uh, as inventory in that store. Bruce, I, I like that the fundamental, the core, the the beginning, the starting point of infinite banking is talking about some of the challenges and the opportunities that we're seeing as an industry. And I mean, I think one of the concerns, you've already brought this up, but one of the main concerns that I see is that as there becomes more and more people knowledgeable about infinite banking, there's there's two sides of that, right? There's the one side, I'm so thankful that more people are using this concept and taking action because it tremendously and truly benefits their life. And yet at the same time, there can be so, because it's becoming more common and more popular and more of a hot topic, there can be messages that sway somebody off of center and say, basically with a mindset of saying, well, Nelson created infinite banking back in the olden days, and we can now improve upon this and we can do better than the original design. And I mean, I don't know about you, if you're listening, I'm not for genetically modified food. I'm not for improving upon the original design of food, of human biology, of anything that was created in its original form is good. We don't want, we don't need to change it or make it better. We need to stay true to the original intent. All right, Bruce. So so a couple other things um, I think that are basic fundamentals is you finance everything, even if you pay cash for it. And this is, this is actually a harder concept for anybody to understand because they're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, when you, when you use cash, um, this is how people do it. They save up on a monthly basis, uh, let's say to buy a car. So I'm going to save $400 a month. And I do that for several years. I get to $20,000 and I buy a car and my bank account goes back to zero. And then I repeat the process. I save up, I save up, I save up, and it goes back to zero. And so a lot of people don't worry about that anymore and don't understand that they're giving up because you're only maybe getting a a good return at a bank now might be a quarter of a percent. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you couldn't have it in another investment or another, maybe a a certificate of deposit um, might be another one Nelson uses in his book. People understand the other way they do it is what they they get a loan from the bank and now they're below zero and they're making payments of $400 every month to get back to zero. But in both situations, you're getting back to zero every time. Mm-hmm. So you finance everything, whether you pay cash for it or whether you, you don't pay cash for it. So what you're trying to do, what, what Infinite Banking tries to do is interrupt that uh, that thought process so that you don't interrupt the compounding process. Now you can do this with a CD. You could actually build up a CD, capitalize the CD, go to the bank and say, I'm gonna borrow against this CD now. And thus the CD will keep 
uh, going up because you're uninterrupted it. And now you're paying on the CD side. I'm sorry, you're uninterrupted on the CD side, but you have a loan against it. Infinite banking does the same thing, except they use cash valued life insurance to do the same process. And so when you think about you finance everything, then that is something that is a mind shift for people to, to actually consider the infinite banking process. The next thing I think, yeah, uh, Bruce, uh, let me just, yes. um, just highlight that for a second. If you're always coming back to zero, there is a significant interrupt. You're resetting the beginning of your growth every time you come back to zero. And so if you're using your cash in the way that you just said, and you're draining your savings account, every time you buy a car, you're in a position that you're starting over from scratch, growing wealth. And the compound interest curve is not valuable in the first, second, third, fourth year. It seems like it's barely doing anything. But if you held that same cash, even if it's a, a small interest rate, like you get in a savings type of asset, not 12% or 20% growth. You don't need that kind of growth if you have consistent, guaranteed, uninterrupted compound growth, because over a long period of time, you're going to have a tremendous amount of growth. I'm not saying only save and never invest. What I am saying is if you had the capability to hold the same dollars and never let go of that growth curve for 30, 40, 60, 70, 90 years, you're in a position of creating tremendous wealth just from the compound growth piece. Yeah. I mean, I'm a biology major and I taught biology for 15 years. And I used to use this example with bacterium reproducing mm -hmm. and also with lily pads on a pond. And so if, if you had a one lily pad and it replicated itself in one day, you now have two lily pads and then it replicates, it has four and so on and so forth. I'm not going to accept that everybody's in, intelligent. Mm -hmm. But after, if it took 29 days to go halfway across the pond, how many days will it take to go across the other half of the pond? One well, more day. Used, it goes one more day. Well, it's fun though when you do it with seventh graders mm -hmm. because seventh graders a lot of times will say, well, that's easy, 29 days because it right. took 29 days to go one half. It, it takes 29 days to go the other half. But it's really, then that's the power of compounding. It's like the, uh, and then if you do it, you can really get their attention. If you say, would, I, would you rather take a million dollars a day or I'll give you one penny today and we'll, we'll double the penny every day for the next 30 days? And of course, most of the seventh graders would say, I'll take the million dollars. I'm not taking that one penny and doubling it. And, if, and I'm not going to bring up the answer here. I'm going to let people explore that answer. Um, outside the podcast and, and you'll, your eyes will really be opened up. And of course, that's how, that's how compounding works. And if you have, if, if you have to be almost tricked to, to pay your house mortgage, so you build up um, equity because human nature is interrupted, then one way to actually build it up on usable, on usable uninterrupted compounding is to get a whole life insurance uh, contract with a, that you're paying into consistently, and you're not going to interrupt the compounding in that situation either. So this is a this is a way that you can overcome your own uh, uh, lack of discipline per se going forward. So and everybody just a question a question on that, and 
this is just something that I'll pose as a question. Bruce, I love how you left the answer off of your last piece, but imagine this, you're in a housing bubble, but you don't know it yet. And your house is tremendously up. It's doubled in value. Should you go take a HELOC, pull out all that capital or a home equity loan? Should you go finance that, pull out all that capital and put it to work somewhere else? I don't know. Maybe you can access that today, but what if the value of your house drops when that bubble pops? What situation are you going to be in then? You want to be holding your cash in a place where it's not going to lose value so that if you borrow against it, you're not underwater. Yeah. And that, and that compounding effect works both ways. We brought this up during the, this is part of the problem. So everybody focuses on savings, you know, teaching savings and, and the good people say, well, save 10 to 15% of your income every month. Of course, people don't do that for a variety of reasons. Uh, one, we could talk about inflation at another uh, show again, but people don't realize that the compounding of financing is actually even worse because you have 4 to 5% on your home, 5 to 12% on cars, sometimes even greater, and then 10 to 29% on credit cards. So that's also compounding at a greater rate than the savings is compounding. So if you mm-hmm. can capture, if you, could, if you can discipline yourself to actually become your own bank, now you're capturing all that interest that would have been flowing to the bank and you're recapturing it towards you. And it's called delayed gratification. And this is what uh, our, our nemesis, Dave Ramsey, teaches which I've always said Dave does a great job of getting people out of debt. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's, his principles are really good. However, I don't believe that Dave is really good on helping people build wealth. But one of the ways he's really good at, at helping people get out of debt, because he understands the compounding effect of interest on your debt. So how is this practical then? Well, business owners have hundreds of thousands of dollars that they just leave in the bank and it's doing nothing for them. I've met with dozens of business owners over the year and you look at their balance sheet and they got uh, the the one just recently, $800,000 in the bank and it's making 0.15%. And I asked the business owner, what's the floor that that gets? In other words, how low does that $800,000 get? He goes, well, it only gets about, 600,000. And I go, what's the ceiling? He goes, well, he gets to about a million dollars. And he said, but I just like to have that just in case I need it. And I said, well, how many years has it been there just in case you need it? And he had a pause. He's like, I don't know, a bunch of years. I go, a decade? He goes, yes, a decade. And so if you could then take that money or a portion of that money and redirect it, so now the next time you purchase equipment or you have your, your quarterly tax bill, something that you're consistently paying out and you borrow against that asset, which is your cash value life insurance to make the payment, you're not inter- interrupting that $200,000 or that $400,000 of floor to ceiling that goes in and out of the account. So, um, People should think about that. And we talked about that at the think tank. And the final thing that I think that uh, is important to know is just a couple of the laws that uh, 
that Nelson always used to talk about. The first one is Parkinson's law. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, Rachel, but I'm very guilty of this. Uh, work oh, expands yeah. to fit the time that you have to do it. Oh, yes. So, so if you have, if you're going to do something um, and you have 30 days to do it, you're probably going to take all 30 days. If you have a week to do it, you're going to take a week to do it. And if you have a day to do it, you're going to get it done in a day. So the oh, yes. reason I'm bringing this up is it's also about making decisions. So I hear this all the time. I wish I would have done this 10 years ago when I first was introduced to this. Well, that's kind of like Parkinson's law. Um, because you could have done the work to figure out if it was good for you, but you're ju- there is no endpoint, so you're just it's just expanding to fit the time. That's exactly uh, why people don't do the things that are most important. We just do what's urgent because it can feel like, well, I answered that email, I checked this little tiny thing off my to-do list, but I didn't do the really big important things that matter for eternity or matter for a whole lifetime. Yeah, and then the arrival syndrome is when you feel like you know everything and you don't need to listen to anybody anymore. That's very, very dangerous, especially in a changing world. Once again, exponentially changing world. Cryptocurrency is a great example of, a, of something that I don't think people ever thought would happen. It's funny, we, have a, we, we actually have a couple of crypt, young kids that are crypto in our company and they have their own advisory on crypto. And the one guy has actually said, think about this. when." When the, when the first car, by the way, the first car in the 1800s was actually electric, which is interesting, um, came about, everybody said, well, this is ridiculous. You're never going to replace the horse and buggy because the horse is very reliable because the, these mechanical cars were breaking down. Well, people are doing the same thing with cryptocurrency now. They're like, oh, well, there's no way we're going to trust that system where it's not backed by anything. Well, I hate to tell you people, our money is not backed by anything right now either. It's called fiat money. Mm-hmm. It's, backed, it's backed upon the full faith of what people think it is. So that's the arrival system. The next one, I use this all the time. Uh, the great bank robber, robber Willie Sutton, said uh, that he steals, when he, when he asked, why do, you, why do you steal money from, or why do you steal from banks? And he goes, well, that's because that's where the money is. and. Uh, Nelson used to always say is that wherever wealth is accumulated, someone will try to steal it. It's kind of like what, what Rabbi Lappin said, you know, don't be scammed. You've got to be aware of what's going on. And finally, Nelson used to say the golden rule. And, but his golden rule wasn't necessarily to do, what, do, do unto others what you would like to do to you. His was whoever has the gold makes the rules. And so he used to say is if if you can delay gratification and actually build up capital, cap opportunities, find capital, Mm -hmm. and then you can decide how much you're going to pay somebody, how much you're going to invest. You are in control. And when you are in control, you don't feel bitter. You don't feel negative. uh, Unlike people. And I, and I feel sorry for these people, these people that live paycheck to paycheck, and one of the worst things in our country are these check cashing facilities that are payday loans that are 29%, but these people don't have any other options in their minds. So they are taken advantage of because the people that have the money are making the rules. Mm-hmm. Their rule is if you want a, a payday loan, you're going you're gonna to charge 29%. Oh, and by the way, you can't make the payment the next week. 
Here's another one. And we're going to, by the way, we're going to compound the one from the day before where it actually compounds to a thousand or more percent. It's absolutely ridiculous. So whoever has the gold makes the rules. I think that's a kind of a good synopsis of the Nelson Nash think tank. And if anybody wants to attend, if you can reach out to a practitioner in the future, uh, you can come as a guest. Bruce, I think that was a very, very good overview. And I think just a tremendous return back to the principles, the fundamentals as well. And, you know, I was feeling already that we needed to go ahead and talk again about the fundamentals of doing infinite banking and what it means and why we use it and and how it works. But more importantly, what problems we're solving with infinite banking. And so we're going to be kicking off another series on infinite banking fundamentals or infinite banking basics. And this is a really good lead into that. So Bruce, just thank you for sharing so much so well during this past hour. And, you know, I would say as well, if you're in a position of saying, I want to make sure that I'm not in a position of being out of control. I want to get in control. I want to start making that progress towards building time and money freedom. I either am that business owner with a million dollars sitting in my bank account and I'm losing out on what that could be producing if I kept that growing with uninterrupted compound interest. And I'm in a position of saying, I don't want to interrupt my compounding anymore. I want to be in a position where I can hold cash and I can keep that growing and I can earn interest and dividends on that capital and I can make it do as much as possible for me. Reach out and talk to us. We'd love to have a conversation with you about how to make decisions with your capital and with your savings, with the excellent money habits that you've already built up to make sure that that's working as hard and as well as possible for you. And if you're in a position of saying, look, I am in that paycheck to paycheck situation. There is always hope. There is a book called um, The Richest Man in Babylon. It talks about fundamental money principles. It's written by George S. Clayson. C-L-A-S-O-N. And I love how he talks about setting your purse to fattening. What he means is at any income level, whether your income is variable and fluctuating every single month, changing every month, whether it's a lower income than you would like, or whether it's a very high income, you need to be in a position of consistently having that discipline of saving a portion of what you make. And he says, you know, whatever you're making, if you can live on 100% of what you're making, you can also easily live on 90%. So start that that habit of paying yourself first. And you know what's even easier than having to remember to do it and seeing if you've spent too much over the month and seeing if there's anything left over? Set an automatic transfer before the month even begins. As soon as that paycheck hits, automatically 10% of that is swept over into a savings account. Trust me, it's actually easier to do on a smaller income than by then waiting until I make enough money to now finally start saving. You're going to be so accustomed to spending all of your money. By the time you get there, it's going to feel much more difficult to start saving 10% of $500,000 of income than it is to save 10% of $10,000 of income. So think differently. You can get in a position of control starting now by developing good money habits. So we're going to leave that today. Thank you, Bruce, for attending that Nelson Nash Think Tank. Definitely something that I am putting on my list to attend in the future. And that's in Birmingham, Alabama. I think that's where it is always, correct? It is, but that was one of the things they talked about was making it to uh, rotating it around the country. Mm. Uh, Birmingham's a little bit difficult to get to, um, although it's a it's a it's a up and coming, thriving city of a one point. 
five million people, and I think the metropolitan area is even bigger. Hmm. But but because the airport situation, like our Canadian friends, some of them had to fly as long as twenty hours, making four different connections. Oh wow! To get to it, so they're talking about possibly having it in a major metropolitan area in the future. Well, good to know. So keep that on your radar, and you know we'll be talking about by interviewing Bruce and um, probably myself as well in the future from attending these events that we can be able to share the information like this also. So if you have questions or you want to know more about the think tank, we have questions about infinite banking, or we've brought something up on your radar that was a question or a point of interest or a thought to you before, we'd love to hear from you. You can comment on this video wherever you're finding it. You can send us an email at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or better yet, you can go straight to themoneyadvantage.com Click the button that says um, set an appointment, get on our calendar. I don't know the name of the button, but it's in the middle of the page. And it, it is an access to our calendar where you can talk directly with an advisor and say, how do I make this strategy work for me? Am I a fit for the strategy? Is the strategy a fit for me and what I'm trying to accomplish? And how can we move forward with using infinite banking in my own life? So thank you so much for being with us today. Please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.